wow. Crazy K is ready to do it again. Um, bet you guys didn't know that was used to be my one of my nicknames, I guess, back in the days when I played in the NFL. Um, it was handed to me uh, mainly because I was one of the the, the the ones going down on the cover team on the kickoff units and punt teams and stuff. Um, buying my time as a, as an NFL player, waiting for my turn to uh, possibly take a starting role from somebody. But um, in the meantime, I, I fell in love with special teams. And um, there were some times when I was like doing some stuff that made no sense. Um, when we were playing against uh, Arizona, I said, you know what, let me show these guys something. Went out there against the double team. Pop! Split the double team. Passed these dudes. Headed straight down for the uh, punt returner. It was Eric Metcalf at the time. Did a beeline. Straight at Eric. Eric didn't see me. I came on in with my right hand. Boom! Knocked the ball loose. Tackled him. And fell on the ball for a fumble recovery. And that play right there was able to uh, change the momentum of the game. And uh, we ended up... Uh, uh, you know, tying the game shortly after that, and then um, our defense held strong and um, offense put on some more points, and we won that game. So, uh, special teams was something that uh, that you 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 had to fall in love with, but um, you were known as crazy if you really really um, you know did your job appropriately because your job was basically to go down there and and blast people um, to get to the uh, returner. Sometimes you had to sacrifice your body and, and um, go in there, you know, body first on that wedge. Uh, since then, I think they've uh, uh, banned the wedge approach and even a bunch of other stuff going in low, uh, which I, I obviously I understand all that. Um, but, uh, but a lot of things that are being done nowadays may come off as soft, um, but it's a new league and um, Overall, the, it's there to protect the, uh, the, the player's health. So, you, I mean, you got to give it up for that stuff. So, um, but in my day, they weren't worried about that. <laughs> they said, send them in. So anyway, but yeah, um, Crazy K, we're here on episode eight of K Shed Uncuffed. Um, it's great to be here with you guys. Uh, I'm going to have a guest coming in later on today. His name is Mr. Johnny Martin. Uh, a filmmaking extraordinaire, uh, Bay Area product, and um, you know he's my mentor as well. Uh, he, if you read his IMDb page, this guy has done a lot. Uh, ever since 18, he's been into film business. He started off as a stunt man, uh, kind of mastered that really quickly, and then became a stunt coordinator, which is pretty pretty dang uh, impressive to go. Uh, up to being a, a coordinator right away, so um, that that just means that you know what you're doing, and you you devote your your time and effort to your skill set, and um, it's rewarded. So um, he he's ended he's ended up being uh, honored as the stunt coordinator for great films like Gone in sixty seconds, where he made some um, won some awards and Emmys and all that. Uh, He's gone on since to work with some of the biggest names in Hollywood, from Nicolas Cage uh, to Al Pacino, Donald Sutherland, who's one of my favorite. Ah, the, the ones I just named are one of my favorites as well. But uh, Donald, Donald Sutherland, I remember watching um, in Animal House, uh, was the first time I remember seeing a Donald Sutherland. And um, his role was very just evil in that even though he was 
wasn't supposed to be evil. He was a teacher, and he, uh, I just remember him just being so, so sly with what he was doing, if anybody remembers that movie, Animal House, but that was Donald Sutherland. He was super young then, and then he went on to just kind of blow up in the movie uh, field, so uh, my man Johnny Martin got a chance to uh, direct him in one of his films uh, called Alone, and um, you know, uh, I, I keep in contact with Johnny now, and I'm, I'm super excited to be able to uh, have him on as our guest. He'll come on, on later on, and uh, I want you guys to hear directly from him. He has some big, big things planned, and um, he always takes the time to check on me and make sure that I'm doing good, because, uh, you know, everybody knows my movie-making aspirations have always been there. Uh, I've written five scripts so far. Um, one started off with an action uh, uh, adventure, I guess, um, called Iron Mike, and then I went on to uh, write uh, a, 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 a murder mystery called Raised for Murder, um, and then I think I, I switched up and did uh, the comedy. I started uh, Iowa's Finest around that time. Uh, uh, Iowa's Finest has since been kind of, I've redone it and I've... Uh, you know, added some things, taken out some things and stuff because it was written. It, I first started back in '93 um, when I was with the the, the Jets and training camp, um, and it's actually writing that script saved my neck because it was able to get me focused and keep me back into the game um, and, and and believing in myself. But and then so later on in life, I was able to go back and finish that script and. Um, I want to just say we just got notified, our movie making group just got notified that the screenplay I Was Finest was accepted into the Las Vegas Premiere Film Festival, which takes place in a couple weeks. And I could not be more proud of our team, of our producers, our, our, our camera people, everybody, um, you know, who, uh, I mean, the, even the script readers who, who uh, you know, they weren't the nicest people in the world. You send them your script and you think you've done a great job and then <laughs> they give it back to you and every page is covered with red ink and you're just like, wait, that wasn't funny? How is that not funny? And then you get comments like, what are you thinking? Oh my God. And, uh, you know, I mean, if, if you're, you know, if you're not quite focused and you kind of get that uh, sensitive skin or, you know, you won't, you won't probably hang in there with it. So you have to be able to uh, just accept it, that they're, they're there to make your, your uh, script better. And um, they did. I mean, I, they charged you for uh, the new red pens that they needed to uh, replace the old ones. But uh, it was well worth it because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's great when you think about that. And it's, it's real when you think about it, actually. It might be funny to you and it might be good to you, but that doesn't mean that everybody else is going to laugh or think it's funny or, you know, be moved or whatever. So you have to have that, uh, that uh, security in yourself that, uh, you know, um, you're, you're okay with letting somebody else read it. And it's just like proofreading your work back in freaking sixth grade when the teacher would say, okay, hand it, your paper to your friend, you know, and um, or your your you know, your classmate to your right or whatever. And then it was just kind of like, you know, most of the time they really didn't really uh, read it, but it was just kind of like uh, the teacher was basically setting the stage from back then that, um, you know, always proofread your work. 
Uh, a lot of times people catch stuff that you didn't know. It's just like, whoa, okay, I'm glad I did not sit in that one. <laughs> so it's great. It's been a great, great road. Um, and then um, I went on to write uh, another one called uh, Extreme Hate. I'm, uh, you know, now that we're really, really pushing forward with making our films into real life and getting them onto the big screen, uh, doing Extreme Hate is going to be uh, a pleasure. Uh, it's it's going to be challenging, um, you know, but the premise is very unique and very necessary, I think. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really about, uh, uh, I, actually, I can't even tell you about that. I don't want you guys to steal my idea. <laughs> so, sorry about that, uh, if I hurt somebody's feelings, but uh, man, you gotta, you gotta protect your stuff here in the movie making business. But, uh, you know, um, but I can tell you about one of my other ones called Easy Prey, um, you know, mainly because it's a subject matter where not very many people are going to want to touch that. Uh, it's basically um, a story of a, of a young kid, you know, 18-ish, I guess, you know, who unwittingly promises his soul to the devil. Um, and... Uh, when he goes on to uh, become an adult, uh, he's kind of moved on, forgotten all about that night uh, where he had a complete breakdown. Um, and then, lo and behold, guess who shows up to collect? And then um, it's it's that's one where you know it was it was it wasn't it's 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 one of those that's going to be a big budget film. You know, it just is because it's all obviously. I mean, the devil shows up. Uh, and then you're about, you're in a battle with the devil. You're gonna have to have all kinds of bells and whistles and special effects and stuff. And uh, yeah, we weren't ready for that one. Um, our movie making group got together uh, once we kind of saw who was for real and who really wants to push forward with this thing. Um, and um, I know my one of my other movie making partners, Ray, Mr. Ray Godoy, he's written several scripts himself. One he let me read. Is spot an assassin, and it is legit. It's it's Mission Impossible one through eight, all in one episode, in my opinion. Um, and if it, it when he when it's time, and that's sh that movie is shot, it's gonna be fantastic. But that's a big big budget film. A lot of his other scripts are big budget too. So um, we all looked at each other, it's like, hey, we we wanna we wanna move forward. We wanna produce our first feature film. We've done shorts, uh, short films and all that, and that's great, but th that's where you get your mistakes out and you, you kind of iron out your style. You find your perfect camera guy and you get the chemistry going. It's just like building your own NFL team. You know, The general manager has to come on in and kind of uh, trial and error, make this move, and that, if that doesn't work out, you cut your loss. With that and stuff, we had to make a decision. Uh, which script would it be? Um, so we went back to Iowa's Finest. It's, uh, I mean, it's a comedy. Everybody needs comedy in their life. And um, the storyline is very kind of cut, cut and dry. Uh, two small town Iowa boys ditch the farm and try their luck at becoming big city cops. Hilarity ensues. Boom. You know, um, it's, it's not going to be big budget, but, um, but yeah, obviously we're going to devote our um, funds and uh, the resources to make in one seriously good, good film. And we're actually in contact with uh, uh, Marlon Wayans' uh, 
agents to try to see if we can get him on board. If we can, that would be one heck of a dream come true for me. That that guy makes nothing but funny, funny, legit movies. Um, and he, he, he gets done with this, his bit and then he moves on to the next one, you know, just spreading joy wherever he goes. So I'm definitely keeping my fingers crossed and hope, hopefully that will happen. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're ready and we're going to be going down to uh, Las Vegas here in a couple weeks to um, uh, hopefully promote our film some more at the film festival and uh, get ready and maybe in the next three to four months, it's, you know, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed on that one. Hopefully we'll be ready to roll. We'll have everything in place. So uh, I'm encouraged by what I'm seeing so far. So, um, you know, I, I've been out to a couple movies lately myself, you know, um, just went to go see the movie Nope. Um, and I don't know about that one. You know, I mean, I'm a big uh, Jordan Peele fan. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of like uh, when I'm watching it, I wasn't, there were so many different things that just came up that I wasn't expecting to see. You know, obviously, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, just a small spoiler. When I watched that movie, um, the, 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 the tension was definitely set up very, very well. You could tell something was about to happen. And um, something you probably haven't seen before. And you just knew it was going to just be like, whoa, what the heck am I watching? The, the, the problem with... It's not a problem. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a good movie. It's just that I couldn't relate that to real life. You know, to me, it was like, um, uh, for those who've seen it, you know, correct me, or, you know, I mean, maybe you can kind of feel how I'm feeling, but it was like I was watching one of my daughters when they were young, and they're like six or seven, and they're watching the Cartoon Network, and, um, you know, we're watching one of those shows like the regular show, or uh, uh, the Adventure Time or something like that where our heroes of both shows are battling some crazy demonic, uh, you know, spiritual force that came from outer space. <laughs> and one minute it looks normal, the, 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 the you know, the antagonist um, that's, that's, going up to get, that's going up against our hero they look normal and then all of a sudden just they change shape and now everything looks completely different and there's all this imagery in the back and colorations and these beams of light and they they go from this little small regular sized person to this huge gigantic you know uh, transformer type sized freaking monster with all these different things and it's really weird bizarre and it was just kind of like, that's what it seemed like that happened in that movie. And it, for a minute, it kind of took me out like, is this supposed to be a real movie? Or they're, are they just, just trying to just expand the, the, the realms of people's thought processes? And it was just kind of like seeing that go from a regular spaceship, which seemed cool, to go into something that I've never seen before when it changed, began changing shapes. And then it starts sucking up horses and it's just like, uh, okay, you know, like I said, I mean, every movie we make with our group, we're all going to go into the whole thing knowing that, that just because we think it's going to be good, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to like it. It's that that's just the way it works. And, uh, Jordan Pill is, he's going to move on to his next movies, uh, and he's going to just keep down them out dialing them in and um, just knocking them out like like he is 
and it's going to be fantastic. I'm looking forward to the next one. And you know, I, you know what? Um, nope was the type of movie where you can probably go back and watch it again, and then it's just like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it now. It all makes more sense. So that's probably what I'm going to end up doing. Um, and then guess what? So uh, me, my wife, and my brother-in-law, and my sister-in-law all went out to go see the Elvis movie. Uh, my wife's a big Elvis fan. And um, that was a good movie. It really was. It was, it was surprisingly good. Um, uh, so uh, there were so many different things, so many different levels, and they, they uh, set it up well. They, they started it when uh, Elvis was a little boy, and, and I've never seen that side or heard that side that came with uh, the Elvis story. He literally was in a, like a black church, in, a, in that black uh, church environment, you know, with the, the gospel singing and all the different things, feeling the Holy Ghost, and I, shoot, I'm watching that. I was like, I remember those days. I mean, when we'd go down to Mississippi uh, for summer break or whatever, we were always going to church on Sundays. And, and you know, if anybody's been to like a Baptist church um, down in the South, <laughs> It's, it's a whole nother level, and that's kind of how, that, that's what it was in, that, in the film. And I'm just like, I never knew Elvis uh, grew up in that type of environment. So right off the bat, I was kind of thrown off, thrown off guard because, um, you know, I remember hearing a rumor, and uh, we ended up Googling it, Googling it later on and kind of looking more into it. But I remember hearing a rumor that uh, Elvis once said, some things that were unpleasant about black people and uh, something about all they can do is shine their shoes and, and um, you know, buys music. And I, that didn't make any, that, that just didn't make any sense to me. So, um, you know, it, maybe it was a, a, this, this vicious, vicious rumor that was created to um, strike out against El Elvis for whatever reason, out of jealousy or something. Um, but if if a lot of those facts that uh, were in that film are in fact true, um, man, I mean, I, I, I got to have a, a lot more respect for that man than, than I thought that I could uh, because he did pave the way, the best way he could for uh, black artists. Uh, and, um, you know, I mean, it goes deeper than that. I'm just touching the surface, but, you know, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a perfect movie for now, you know, I mean, when I went there, we were surrounded by, you know, I, I want to say several, um, um, maybe, I wouldn't say elderly, but uh, just kind of older uh, couples, and more than likely, they they came to um, to see this, to, to reminisce about the days when they were younger, and they saw Elvis for the first time. You can just tell the energy level of that, of, of at the theater, it was booming, um, so the directors, the producers, everybody who put that film together, and I'm sure the historians who added the, you know, the, the storyline about when he was younger, uh, man, I'm hoping all that is true because, you know, if it's not, then you guys made a great creative product, and, but if it is true, then, man, you guys touched on some things about uh, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, uh, pop artists uh, of all time or blues artist, whatever you call it. He was doing all kinds of music, man, you know, but it was just mind-blowing that, that, that everything was, uh, that everything I saw on screen was related back to Elvis Presley. 
So um, now I get it why uh, my wife wanted to nick or name our uh, second daughter Presley. And so in the end, um, that's her middle name. So uh, I get it now. Um, so yeah, go check it out. Go check out mo go check out both movies. I mean, it's uh, you know, um, you know, getting out to the theaters is, is, is one of the best things you can do to kind of uh, transform yourself. Get some place that that you haven't been. Um, you can kind of relax and just kind of just take a break from all the craziness that's going on in the world. That's one of the main reasons why um, this movie making group, um, AD Productions. Um, we're, why we're moving forward with everything, you know, has it been an easy road? Heck no, it hasn't. Um, but we really want to, we really want to do our part to, to, um, you know, raise people's spirits and stuff. We feel like we got some really good products here. Um, that's, uh, that, that, that's going to be very, very entertaining. Um, but I, I really, I really wouldn't really be there. I don't think if it wasn't for my mentor, Mr. Johnny, uh, Martin, I mean, he's, He's done so much. I remember when he first uh, started, made his first feature film because he, after uh, doing stunt coordinating and all that and producing film, he wanted to direct. And um, I was there when he did his first feature film, uh, his first real feature film. Uh, it's, if you listen to the title now, it's called Delirium, but at the time it was called Case 13. Um, and it was shot out there in Oakland, um, um, in the Oakland area, there's one scene in particular where the where the house, uh, where the, where everything takes place, the Dunsmuir's house, um, where I was there. It was fantastic. Um, uh, met a, I met the actors. Uh, I got a chance to watch them as they got into character and they set the stage. Um, you know, it was it was it was a, a exciting road. It was freezing though. Holy smokes! It was so cold. Um, and that's when I was a, a, a police officer with San Leandro, and um, actually Johnny um, and his and his produ other producer uh, partners they reached out to me, and because they needed help um, with a police car and uh, actually a, a, a police officer, and me, I, I they wanted me to play the role, but I I I'm not an actor and I already know that I once got fired from a set where I was a cop and my only role was to go up to the lady and say hey you need to move your car <laughs> it took 30 plus takes just to do that in the end the director said all right uh you're you, you can leave now and then they had to bring in some security guard at the airport to play that role so yeah, I already knew right off the bat. I'm like, guys, I'm not even gonna waste your time. Sorry. So uh, I found somebody else to uh, to play that role for them, and I think he did a really, really good job um, um, for them. And um, one of our other uh, my other coworkers, uh, Mr. Alex Hydus, uh played his back played the backup role as his partner, and um, you know it, it's it's spot on. Alex Hydus right there. I mean, when you watch him, he has this like this robot look like he's a Terminator and he's trying to <laughs> he's shining this light on these poor kids who are like uh, getting ready to sneak into this uh, haunted house, Dunsmuir house. But they're trying to build up the courage and having some beers and stuff, which obviously you can't do as a youngster like that. Then the cops show up. It's a it's a great, great scene. And then um, one of the beautiful things that uh, I like about this product project is because I got a chance to see it before it kind of changed over it they um, 
what ended up happening is that they, they presented, and, they, and I'll let Johnny tell you too, uh, he'll tell the story with more detail, but all I know is that um, uh, Sony was interested in their project. They really liked the, 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 the premise and the storyline. They liked a lot of things that they saw on, on the film um, when they were done, but then there were some things that they felt like they wanted more of, more scares, more tense tension, more spookiness, I guess, um, you know, which I can understand. I mean, that's Sony. So, and, um, you know, they made an offer and, um, you know, I, I'll let Johnny tell your story, but, um, you know, he stayed true to his guns because he's the director, you know, um, and I got to have a lot of respect for that, you know, I mean, um, uh, directors, they, and writers and everybody part of the team, but, but directors especially, especially if you're the ones who wrote the script, you know, that's a, you wrote that script for a reason. It's heartfelt. It's something deep inside said, hey man, bring it out. Put me on paper and let's make this happen. And I'm 100% positive that's what happened with Johnny's project case 13. Um, you know, but in the end, when you're talking about distribution and other uh, production companies wanting to buy it, uh, there's a good chance they're going to change it to how they want to do it. And, um, you know, it's a great, great experience overall for that uh, production team who did Case 13. Like I said, they changed the name in the end to uh, Delirium. A lot of good things. I saw that one when it was done, too. Really good film as well. Um, you know, and, and Johnny just started taking off from there. Um, a lot of his other films are, are, are doing really well. They're, they're original ideas, and that's what I, another thing that I respect. So um, here in a bit, we're going to bring him on, and um, I'm, I'm excited for you guys to get a chance to hear from him, mainly because he's a Bay Area product, you know, and he's down in L.A. now. Uh, did did his thing down in LA, and but now he's going international all over the place. So, still uh, hammering it down with the filmmaking, you know. So, um, uh, all the all the people who can kind of go from the from kind of like the lower rungs of Hollywood and build themselves up. Uh, and I'm not saying stunt people are lower rung at all. I'm just trying to say he. That's where he started. He wasn't even a stuntman at the time. He just had like this idea that he wanted to get into film, and um, uh, I'm probably not going to be able to clean that up a little bit. So I'll just apologize to any stunt people who who are offended by me saying that. But anyway, um, you know, it's it's a it's a crazy crazy road when it comes to filmmaking. And for me, uh, I give nothing but respect to those who continue pushing forward even though they may not get the best of feedback from people from their project when it's done. Uh, that's all part of it. Here, when we come back from our break, Mr. Johnny Martin's gonna be here with us, and uh, I cannot wait. So with that, K-Shed Uncuffed, episode eight, we'll be back. Woo-hoo! K-Shed Uncuffed, we're back. You know, um, the music that we have and we bring it to our lives and stuff, um, it's, it's a mood setting and it's tone setting. And um, I want to thank my producer, Mr. Jeffrey Wilson, for monitoring everything that we're doing, making sure everything sounded legit. Um, everybody, and especially my guest right here, will tell you that the sound 
of your project determines pretty much everything. And, um, you know, it just it, it, it's a good, good uh, thing to uh, uh, lead us into our second session with our with our highly esteemed guest here. And um, just like I was telling you guys, I have my mentor, my really good friend, uh, an idol of mine and a guy who just doesn't seem like he's going to be stopping anytime soon. He's a Bay Area product and um, he's just getting started. And uh, so with no further ado, I want to introduce you to my great friend, Mr. Johnny Martin. Johnny, how are you, buddy? Hello, my dear friend, Kenny, how you been? I've been good. I've been good. I've been um, sitting in the background, uh, just kind of watching what you have going on. I mean, you are like all over the place. And, um, you know, but today you're in Las Vegas, right? You're walking into the stadium, the beautiful Allegiant Stadium and everything, and you see Mark Davis getting ready to get in the elevator. Uh, okay. you, you scoop full speed and you put your hand in there before the doors close. And then uh, you're in there with them. And you and you say, Mr. Davis, I got something for you. Let's hear it. All right. Well, before I even look at him, just like in a mo movie tone, of course. Yeah. I would start off with saying, not too many people get a film made about themselves, and the ones that do, unfortunately, don't really get the story being told by the people that care about them the most. And when they do tell the story, sometimes it's negative, and about the stories that especially the person that the story's about does not want them to hear, doesn't want anyone to hear. Well, I'm here to say that I'm the one that should be telling your dad's story. And the reason why is because not only am I a diehard Raider fan, and my family was a diehard Raider fan, and not only because, God, the only A I probably ever got in high school or junior high was when I told the story about Davis. <laughs> but he was a man that I never got to meet, but was my biggest hero and the one that influenced me to give everything I have. And, um, you know, I'm a small-town boy of San Leandro, and, uh, you know, and I always was told to be, treat people kind, but there's a time where you need to push yourself in and, and be confident, and that's what Al Davis was. And, and Mr. Davis, I really want to tell you your dad's life story, not the story that everyone wants to talk about every day, but the story about all the people that he helped, not only the football players, but the people outside of football. It could even be someone's wife that helped them. And uh, it's time that we tell this story. It really is. And it's time to tell the story right. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Dude, wait, I have to go get some tissue first off because you hit <laughs> all the strings. You hit all the strings, Johnny. That, I mean, uh, Al Davis means so much to anyone associated to the Raider Nation and anyone associated to the NFL, really. Um, uh, you know, and so... Um, I'm honored to be uh, kind of included with uh, the, the attempts to kind of get the script uh, presented to Mark Davis one day. The name of the script is called uh, uh, Just Win, and um, I, I got a chance to re read the uh, treatment, everybody, and uh, let me tell you, it's, it's premiere. It's, it's, it's heartfelt on a whole, on many levels, and um, it's a side of Mr. Davis, Mr. Al Davis, that, that you didn't really know about and um johnny uh you know and we're gonna come back to that and all that stuff uh you know but uh i wanted to really kind of um take a moment to really digest what and who johnny martin is and and what your plans are so you said you're a, a san leandro kid is that where you got your start 
Uh, Sam Leandro, born, born and bred, and just a kid that fell in love with movies after he met someone at a car wash. And ever since I met him when I was eight years old, I decided that I didn't want to be a stuntman or an actor or a producer. I just wanted to be a filmmaker. And that was my goal all along. And I'm finally at that point in my career. Who was that person? His name was H.P. Halicki. He did a movie called Gone in 60 Seconds. And the funny thing about that story, I'll say it really quick for you. No, take the time. Is that, uh, is that I met him when I was seven years old because I loved hot rods and I loved hanging out at car washes just to see the hot rods coming in. And this one man came out of his car and he had a car that was all crashed up. And and I said, sir, what happened to your car as I rode up on my bike to him? And he said, son, this ain't a car. This is an actress. Her name is Eleanor. She started my film called Gone in 60 Seconds. And, I, and he told me all about himself, how he was a producer, a director, an editor, a financier. And he says, the key thing is you want to be a filmmaker. And I said, well, I want to be a filmmaker. He says, well, when you turn 18, you come and see me and I'll help you. But you start training now. And I did. I practiced every day my acting, my stunts and everything I could about filmmaking. And then I went to L.A. when I was 18. And on the drive there, my mom called me and told me that H.B. Hillicky died that day. And oh, no. he died doing Gone in 60 Seconds Part 2. Uh, where a bad accident happened during a stunt and uh, a cable came by and sliced him in half and it was a horrible story and I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know anyone in L.A. and I just kept pushing through, uh, you know, what he told me and, you know, my belief from even in Al Davis and everything that inspired me when I was a kid. And and basically, uh, 10 years after that, I got asked to uh, design all the action for this new movie with Nicolas Cage that I won awards for, and the movie was uh, Gone in 60 Seconds. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've never heard that. I mean, you and I have had some really, really deep conversations, and I've never heard that about how you got your start, and that's unfortunate. Um, sorry that that happened, my friend. Uh, uh, yeah, but, but you know what? Everything happens for a reason, and he guided me, and he brought me where I am today, so I appreciate him. Yeah, and so uh, what was it like working with uh, Nicolas Cage? Well, I've done uh, eight films with Nick, and uh, fortunately I've been a stuntman on his film. I've been an actors on his film and a stunt coordinator on four of his films and second unit director, and then my last film I was able to, to direct him in a movie. Vengeance of Love Story. Anyway, it was a terrific experience. Nick is a, an amazing man. He doesn't think he's Nick Cage, by the way, audience. He thinks that, you know, he plays a character called Nicolas Cage, and he knows that everyone likes him to get crazy. And so whenever we'd get into a role and go through dialogue and everything, he would say, uh, Johnny, would Nick Cage do this? And uh, we'd have to design it around this character that he has portrayed and, and he created and made into a superstar. Oh, wow. that That's true professionalism, huh? Yes, it is. Oh, man. Amazing friend and amazing man. So all that time is like mixed in when you're kind of doing, because um, uh, I was telling our, our listeners about Case 13. Um, yes. Was that kind of in the same time when you did some stuff with them and then did your own? Or where does Case 13 fit in there? Well, uh, Case 13 happened, well, the funny thing is I did Case 13. It was a small budget horror movie that won a lot of awards. And yeah. I made it because uh, not only was it a true story about my, me and my friends growing up at the Dunsmuir House in Oakland, mm-hmm. that things happened to us. But it was also a way that I could show financiers a way that I could direct actors and to show them that I'm capable of directing a movie. Because when you do stunts and you do action in movie, people think you're reckless and you may not be a filmmaker. And oh. I need to prove that through my movie, Case 13, Delirium. 
And uh, after that was my very next movie that the financier trusted me on was the Nicolas Cage movie. So really, Delirium is what, and Case 13 got me the chance to direct Nicolas Cage. You were a visionary then, is what you're saying. I, I knew that I had to prove it. I knew I had to prove to everyone that I wasn't uh, to what my resume showed. Here my resume shows 300 movies uh, as a stuntman, stunt coordinator, second unit director, and, and 20 producing credits, and now five directing credits. But when you look at my resume, people want to assume that I'm just a stuntman sometimes. And sometimes you need to prove your worth and go outside the box and take a little risk. Wow. Uh, was it uh, very easy uh, getting everything in place that you needed to have uh, in place for uh, Case 13? Case 13 was done with a 10-man crew. Um, wow. Uh, and, and basically what I did, and I wanted to show something that people don't do, and that movie was very important to me because I wanted to try something that I've been always trying to do in films, and that is that I told the actors to read the script, and we read it together like eight times together, and we read it together over and over. Uh -huh. And when we got that, I took out a trash can, and I told them to throw the script in the trash can because we knew what the story was, and we knew what we had to say, and let's just do this thing improv. No and way. the whole movie is pretty much an improv movie, uh, and it became out came out so realistic for me, and uh, really they played my my friends very well. Oh wow, that is fantastic! That's fantastic. Um, do you believe that uh, Dunsmuir House is really haunted? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I have proof of it. I have a photo of it that shows my father. I was telling him about the haunted experiences I had, and he didn't believe it either. Uh -huh. Then they showed me a room that's haunted upstairs, and. Uh, I told my, and they told me to go in the closet and you'll feel something, a breeze or something that brushes against your neck. And I did and had my dad go in there and I took a photo to get the reaction. And when I did, it was a pitch black room. And when I took the photo, a light was coming from inside the closet, which there was no light. So there, there is a lot of things that happen. People have fallen down, down those stairs, broken their knees, their necks. Uh, they, bad things have happened in that house. And I didn't allow my actors to go in that house until it was time to shoot. I didn't want them to see anything of it until they had to experience it for the first time. Oh my goodness. And I bet you they were terrified too. I they was... were terrified. I also have to say thank you to Kenny right here because he <laughs> helped a lot with this movie. I'll tell you, I, I, I'm really happy with what you did help me with that. Well, I, I, I was I was going to mention that. I, I was going to say I was terrified and I was in the back <laughs> watching you guys take care of business and I'm just like, wow, they're really going to go into that house and... Um, I knew from the very beginning that you guys had a hit and it was something very, very special. And, um, you know, I got a chance to watch you perform as a director. And, you know, it seemed to me like you've been doing that for a long, long time. You had very much a strong command over uh, the, the cast and, and you had a very, very, which I really loved, a very, very uh, uh, solid connection with your camera guy. You know, it was it was fun to watch. Yeah, it really was. I really need to connect. I, I mean, to me, we have to be telling the same story as you know as a director, Kenny. You know, you have to find that perfect team. And sometimes the yeah. smaller the crew, the better, because having a 10-man crew allowed me to hide the crew from the actors and let them experience something for the first time. And my and my DP was from Israel because I really connected well. I didn't care where in the world someone's from as long as there's a connection. Yeah. And that's most important, as you probably know. Yeah, I, there was a shot, there was a scene that you guys did. Um, it wasn't in the first, it wasn't in case 13. I think it was added and I was letting everybody know. Uh, I don't know if that came in after you guys spoke with Sony, but it's the, it's the bathroom scene. Um, oh my goodness, can you, can you talk about that? That was mind blowing. 
Yeah, you know what? I, I, I do a lot of homages in all my movies. I mean, like the late, great Tony Scott, uh, who did Man on Fire and uh, uh, Top Gun and amazing movies. He inspires me and, and taught me how to direct. And, uh, and I always tribute all my movies to him. But I always do a, 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 an homage to some directors throughout all of my movies. And, and Case 13, Delirium, was one of them. The Shining uh, is that scene. It's when Jack, Jack goes to the bathroom and sees the uh, old lady coming out of the tub. And I kind of copied that, not to be a copy on it, but it was an homage to an amazing scene that uh, really terrified me as a kid. Oh. And so I really had to put that in the movie. Shoot, it ter terrified me as an adult. <laughs> how, you how you guys pulled that off, it was amazing. Because, you know, like I said, I, I thought I had seen pretty much the, the movie because I went to you guys' screening when you screened it uh, as case 13. And then right. I... Uh, I was down in uh, L.A. with my movie-making group, and we were doing some things. And then on my way back, I stopped at a theater and to watch uh, Delirium uh, as it, when it was changed over. And I wasn't expecting that scene. Several other scenes, too. But that one really, really affected me. It, 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 it had me kind of like uh, wanting to kind of just kind of, you know, uh, hang out and wait till it turned daytime to leave the theater because it was night. And I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know who's waiting for me out there. It was, it was that good. Um, um, yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah, that movie, it was hard because we shot that movie as a found footage, and I knew that I had a short period of time before, you know, our industry oh. and the audience changes views of movies very quickly, and I knew that they were tired of the found footage, so I went right back to work, and I changed the whole movie to not be a found footage okay. anymore, and I made it more of a film-like, and uh, with, you know, we did it for like $20,000 to wow. change the whole over but it was so hard to do but it was something i know i needed to do to sell sell the movie properly and to get it seen by the audience awesome and then you've been doing all kinds of projects since then i remember seeing alone uh some of the other uh, other ones you've had going on hangman uh were were those fun or challenging or a mixture of both oh man when you get the chance to sit with al Pacino and 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 be able to say i want to do your movie and then uh, when Al calls, you run to him and you listen. And I said, I'll make you a deal. I'll come to your house anytime you want, but you have to tell me a story about your past. Oh, and wow. so he would definitely call me up every night and to tell me a story. And I said, okay, tell me a story quick. And he'd tell me a story about Scarface. Tell me a story about Godfather. And he kept oh. telling me all these stories over and over. And it was and every day on the set, I would go to him at lunch and we'd eat lunch together. And and we just and he'd just tell me stories. And I'm a I'm a movie buff and I just love everything about movies and. And to me, I don't know if I enjoyed directing him as much as I enjoyed hearing his stories. Oh, wow. Oh, man. So just he, I mean, you guys were running through scenes together and all that stuff. What was that like? Well, you know, he did something amazing, and I hope your audience appreciates this, is that, is that he called me one day, and I was in Georgia, and he said, get home, I need to talk to you right away. And I flew home. Got, I got to L.A. and Beverly Hills to his house, and he said, okay, what's this character? Tell me more about her. I said, Al, she just says, how are you? And that's all she says in the whole movie. And he goes, well, tell me more about her. He goes, where are you from? And I go, Cleveland. He goes, is her family divorced? Is, is, is there, is, is there, and, and does she have a boyfriend? Is she here because she's on the job or is she wanted to be here? And, and does she have a lot of money? Is she suffering? And he asked me all these questions about this one-line character, and I never understood it. Then we go to shoot the scene, and he goes up to her, and he's supposed to walk right by her and ignore her. Instead, he says, hello, sir, and he puts his hand on her shoulder, and he looks in her eyes, and he walks away. 
that moment, you could tell that he cared about her and about her life. And just adding a nothing character and adding something to that character, it just goes to show you why he's such a pro. <laughs> oh, my goodness. See, I'm a movie buff, and you can't, you can't, you can't uh, recreate those type of moments. You know, no. those little it's details about the actors, and you know, I mean, uh, that it just it means so much. I mean, you know, I, I, I once, and it's it can make or break a person's true perception of that actor. You know, I, I, I'm risking. Uh, I don't want anybody to think bad about a. Uh, uh, Meg Ryan, but I, I was a big Meg Ryan fan until uh, when I played in the World League, uh, she came out to Spain and she was on our plane and I'm like, that's Meg Ryan. I go running after, hey, Meg, and she wouldn't stop. And I'm saying, wait, we're from America. Sorry, dude. And she, she kept walking. I was crushed, you know, um, you know, and so uh, those little things, especially, I mean, we're, it's not just for uh, we're, we're telling stories and we're just giving these actors a chance to kind of, uh, you know, hone their craft and, and continue to teach the, uh, the world about being a, a human, not just an actor. And so hearing those stories about uh, Al Pacino, we all grew up watching him. Oh, he, believe me, everyone, he's, he's the most amazing human being you'll ever meet. And I wish I could have shared my experience with the world. I really do, because I'm the luckiest man in the world. And if I retire today... I would still know that I am so fully satisfied with what I did because of meeting Al Pacino. Hey, so a lot of uh, and I want to give you credit. I mean, you're you're more you're a humble, humble director. You know, I mean, that's more of your style, right? You don't like to be flashy or anything like that. You like your product to do the speaking for you, huh? Yes, I, yeah, I, I do. I, I'm really blame me. I get I, I get really hurt by critics, and as a matter of fact, I probably lost a lot of my career due to critics because. Uh, when one of my films gets panned by Rotten Tomatoes and it's a bunch of kids reading a script and that really just compare notes and they don't really look at the movie for a movie. Oh. I, I was devastated and I, I locked myself in a room for three months and I can't I don't want to ever direct again because I'm just so hurt because I gave my heart and soul to a movie and some person is, is criticizing my hard work. And it's really hard because, you know, and that's this uh, these movies that I'm talking about have done very well financially, but it still Beautiful. hurts when someone Beautiful. talks about it. So yeah, I am a little critical on on, on my work. Well, so but you're but you're still working though. <laughs> you're still pushing together with some fantastic projects and stuff like that. So there's got to be a secret to. Uh, and I was kind of talking about that earlier uh, with uh, with some of my early scripts, getting them the script writers. You know, you think it's great, and then all of a sudden, uh, half of it's been uh, uh, told that you got to take all this out, and it's like, what? Um, so, I, you know, I'm, I'm with you, but we still kind of have to stick with our script, right? And kind of, and still push forward with it. Well, well, you know what, Kenny? It's so hard because, you know, you know, uh, you know, the market changes all the all the time, and so. I mean, the script that I believe in sometimes, if yeah. it takes months to make, sometimes I may have to do a major overhaul on that script just because the market is changing. It's like now you have to put action in the first six minutes of your movie or else it just won't sell. Mm. And so mm. by knowing this stuff, you constantly have to change story. Even though you believe in it, you just have mm. to go with what really works for the world, you know? Wow. You've been, um, you've been on set the last few days? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. I've been very fortunate. Cool. Uh, can we can we hear about that? 
Well, that has or, been uh, well. Really, I've been in, in the middle of two rewrites. I'm, I'm getting uh, here. Here we're doing uh, two movies that, uh, that I'm going to be uh, directing. But I secretly, between us and the audience, yeah. I you know, once a stuntman, always a stuntman, and I love uh, directing action. Oh. And so I kind of snuck off in a different name, and I went and did a few <laughs> uh, uh, a few TV episodes of Nine One One, and uh, I, I just wanted uh, you know because I was bored and just needed to get the thrill again of, of action. So I kind of sneak off without anyone knowing. <laughs> Dude, you are amazing, man. You are, ama you're like unstoppable, man. You know, uh, I, I love working, man. I love, I love making movies and I love seeing people in the audience where I sit back in the back row. And, and to me, I, I sometimes watch movies just to watch pe pe people's reaction and know what works and what doesn't work. And so anything I could do to make something, because at the end of the day, as you know, Kenny, Films last longer than our lives, and we're yeah. lucky that we have something that, that, that really tells our story 20 years after we're, we're gone. I hear you, brother. You, one thing uh, I want to tell everybody is uh, uh, Johnny, he, he's a straight shooter, but he's, he says it in a way like, you're his, like he's your bestie, so it's, <laughs> it's not meant to hurt, but <laughs> this is something you have to fix. So I bring that up because uh, I invited uh, Johnny uh, and uh, his his partners to our first screening of my first movie ever. Uh, it was a short film called Hidden Secrets, and um, that was a terrifying experience. You know, I mean, it's all fun and dance, fun and uh, games and stuff in the film school, but then when it's time to do it for real, it's it's nerve wracking. I thought playing in front of seventy thousand Chiefs fans and stuff who are screaming at you <laughs> while the refs are calling every flag on everything was tough. That was a whole nother world, but um, uh, we got it done, and um, I'm all proud and all that stuff. <laughs> we go to the screening, Johnny goes, and we're having a good time and everything, and then <laughs> afterwards, he's just like, hey, how come you didn't get it color corrected? <laughs> and I was like, color corrected? What do you mean? He's like, yeah, there was, there was dark clouds in one scene, then all of a sudden the sun's out like two seconds later, and I'm just like, dude, I didn't even know we're supposed to get it color corrected. <laughs> So all those were like like learning lessons that I really didn't know, and it was fantastic. And guys, you know what? Uh, even on my next one, uh, I had some questions, and Johnny was back home from uh, Offset and stuff, and he met me out in uh, Pleasanton. Him and I had lunch together, and I ran some things past him. I let him read read some uh, some some of my narratives, and he's just like, "I like this, but you may want to try to do it a little bit more." Um, it was a it was a commercial I was planning on doing with Sebastian Janikowski, and he liked uh, Johnny liked it, but he wanted a little bit more. And and what he brought to the table was that that experience level of of you know I mean being on set obviously uh, from a d director's point of view come in at this angle, um, and also as a true Raider fan you know. And um, you remember that day? That was a great, hell, great hell day. Yeah, you, you had Lincoln Kennedy as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll never forget it. I had Lincoln and Sebastian. Sebastian, okay, in the fantasy pool, kind of killed me at times, but he was still my brother. <laughs> Dude. And Lincoln Kennedy was just an overall stud. So Unbelievable, I to, yeah. I had he's to do whatever a... I can to help them, too. Yeah, he'll send me messages and stuff, too, just... Uh, uh, out of the blue, saying how how we're doing. He he was on set on that on that film. He really had a blast and all that stuff. So, um, you know, I mean, uh, one of the things that I wanted to re retouch as we kind of wind down and all that stuff is is um, back to our 
your yes. uh, treatment, uh, when baby, you know, um, what, what we've talked together, we talked before about what our plans are going to be. This is truly a film that needs to be made. Um, and now more than ever is a time to, uh, put together the plan to get it in front of, uh, uh, Mr. Davis. Um, I think he's really, really going to like this, uh, uh, treatment. So, um, I'm looking forward to, uh, hearing from you and then we make our move to get it out there to him. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Kenny. I mean, I think this is a special project. It's one that I'm, I'm never, I'm never going to walk away from. And it's one that I know it's going to take the right time. If you know, it's going to happen, you know, with the Raiders move, move into Las Vegas, I know it kind of pushes back a little bit, you know, and, and, and them getting adjusted there. Uh, to me, this is my number one priority film that I want to make in my career. So uh, I, I, and you only get one chance at it. I just want to make sure that me and you both, and again, to your audience, I will not do this movie without Kenny Shedd. There's no way. Uh-huh. I'm a very loyal man, and I need to make sure that we do this together because his heart and passion to the Raiders is what inspires me as much as anyone else about this movie. So uh, right. we will be doing this film together, but we will find that right time to meet Mr. Davis and, and show him why we are the right people to tell the story. I love it, brother. I, I can't think of a better way to, to wrap up our interview than, <laughs> than that. I mean, it's all about uh, uh, the Silver and Black Raider Nation, man. Hell I mean, yeah. They, they mean a lot to a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. And, um, you know, uh, you're going to do everybody proud with this uh, uh, film project. So, you know, I mean, will you do me a favor and keep me posted on, um, I know you got some trips coming up and uh, you're going to be doing some other film projects. Will you shoot me a text and kind of let me know how it's going so I can keep our listeners updated on Mr. Johnny Martin's uh, continued journey to, uh, to take, not take over, but to, you know, I mean, do make his name in Hollywood. I sure will, Kenny. And, and and for your audience, if you guys listen to this podcast, please send a message to us and tell us who you think should play Mr. Al Davis in the movie. Man, that's brilliant. I know who you brought up. I don't know if you want to say that, but you want to just wait and hear what they say. Yeah. I want to hear what they hear. They say, I got my idea who who could pull this thing off, but I would love to hear what they say because who knows, maybe I'm going to take their idea. I love it. Giant Martin, see, man, you you got a brilliant mind on you, brother. All right. Well, you take uh, well, care. Thank you so much, Kenny. I appreciate everything you do for us. It's been a blast, brother. You take care, and I'll talk to you soon. All you right. got it. Goodbye, everyone. All right, Johnny. Take care. Bye. Mr. Johnny Martin, I, I can't I, I can't talk well enough about that guy. I mean, um, sincere heart. Uh, he'll do anything for you. It was kind of heartbreaking to hear how some of the critics might have affected him uh, with some of the reviews that they that they did on his film. Uh, I think he, I think what he was talking about might have been Hangman, and um, you know, not not cool, not cool. You know, I mean, uh, I agree uh, that a lot of these people who are her critics. Uh, I mean, shoot, wait a minute here. When I think about it, a lot of times, uh, or I remember when when Troy came out, the movie Troy with Brad Pitt and everybody. For whatever reason, the critics were destroying that film. And not only me, uh, but down there, everybody in the theater and all the people, uh, when I read the comments after they went to go see the movie, nobody knew what these critics were talking about. They thought that was the best movie freaking ever. I thought it was so good that I named my first baby after one of the characters, Mercedes. 
Um, that's another funny story because it actually her name turned out to be something completely different. It was Perseus with a P. So, but anyway, I just fell in love with the name and I fell in love with the movie. I watch it all the time and, uh, and I study it as a filmmaker because everything about that film was shot so well. All the characters are so fantastic and it's a, me it's a meaningful film, highly entertaining. I totally recommend it. And the same thing with uh, several of the movies that Johnny's uh, done uh, thus far. And um, I really, really, really believe in the film, uh, you know, uh, the, that I read, that it, when I, it was just a treatment, but uh, just when, um, it takes you from when uh, Mr. Davis was uh, an assistant at, back in uh, San Diego, and we go from there. And these are stories that you just never heard before. And I'm, I, you know, I'm going to be there until the end to make sure that that uh, you know it's presented to Mr. Mark Davis in a in a in high light. And um, you know, we'll we'll go from there. Uh, but you know, I mean, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. Us uh, sticking together and us um, making sure that uh, we're holding that hand down, pulling each other up, and getting the other one up there. So guess what? You guys thought I was going to come today's episode with some more, um, you know, unfairness at the police department type stuff, huh? No, not this episode. Maybe down the road. And a lot of times those episodes are just really kind of, uh, uh, you know, if I did say something about that, or they're just, you should look at it as kind of like a heads up, I guess, in some senses, because... Uh, there just might be some type of uh, final showdown that's about to, about to take place here uh, between myself and my former employer. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens. That's a movie script in itself. Uh, I remember talking to um, uh, a black officer who used to be San Leandro uh, supervisor and got um, ousted unfairly. And... Um, I remember talking to him one time, and he said he was going to make us make a movie. And I said, uh, really? And I just asked him, completely out of blue, what would you name it? And right off the top of his head, he's like, it's freaking hard being black wearing blue. And I'm just like, dude, you did not just think of that. He's like, yes, I did, just at the top of my head. And, um, you know, it's... It's, it's unfortunate, that's gonna be my word it, when I keep talking about that. It's unfortunate that they chose the, uh, the route that they took. Um, tried to warn them, but sometimes people gotta learn the hard way. And uh, we'll see what happens. So, man, it's been a blast. It's been a blast. I look forward to the next time we get the chance to talk and uh, we're gonna have some fun. Keep tuning in. Uh, K-Shed might even, uh, K-Shed uncuffed, I'm sorry, might even go uh, video as well and uh, we're just going to keep on growing and keep on growing you listeners seem to be liking what you're hearing i like putting it out there and um let's keep working together as a t-e-a-m baby k shed episode eight out mm -hmm.